Welcome to Brainwaves, student research on air. This podcast series is a collaboration between CKUT and the Postgraduate Student Society of McGill University. We are here to feature student research of all disciplines in Montreal and make academic work more broadly understood and accessible. On this episode, Ashwarya Singh, a McGill student in political science and women's studies, speaks about American military recruitment in relation to citizenship and racial inequality. I'm Ashwarya. I'm studying political science and English lit, but I have a women's studies minor, kind of, and the paper that I'm going to be discussing today is part of my women's studies minor. Just want to like clarify that my research is about sort of the increased incarceration of like black people, both black men and women in the prison system, but also about like sort of racialized recruitment and like the disproportionate number of black folks in the American military and just went to sort of disclose that I'm not black, which is like relevant to some people and irrelevant to other people, but like for the people that it's relevant to. But this was part of a critical race theory class and did do this under like the supervision of a prominent, very like well-versed black activist and scholar. So yeah, just to say that. So like to summarize my research, this research kind of came out of two things that I kind of learned when I was thinking about writing this assignment. So in this class, we talked a lot about like the prison industrial complex and how black men are overrepresented in the prison system and increasing number of black women in the prison system is like increasing at a very, very rapid pace, more than like both black men and black women. And like the ways in which this sort of like fractures black communities and is very much a method of social control and very connected to like relations of enslavement in the sense that the police system and the prison system first came about as a means of sort of controlling newly freed slaves and like continuing to extract labor from them and like how the modern prison system still manages to kind of have the same effect. So that's something we talked a lot about in class, but doing my research, I realized that like, or like not realized, found out that actually black people are also overrepresented in the American military and the rate of black women in the military is like, again, increasing rapidly much more than white women and I just kind of found that parallel really interesting just because like the military and the prison system are kind of thought of as very separate but they're both systems of social control and so I ended up looking at how both of these systems sort of interact or not interact even but just kind of like how they're related in terms of how they delegate citizenship rights or take away citizenship rights but like basically use citizenship as a way of controlling black people. So I based kind of my uh, research on like two theorists. The first of these theorists is Orlando Patterson, who basically in his book, Slavery and Social Death, makes the claim that like master-slave relations don't disappear. They're simply reconfigured in like depending on the context of each society. And then also looked at the work of Sonera Tabani. um, And she talks a lot about how citizenship as like a legal construct was something that was created to give white colonizers access to land because if you could have like a legitimized way of sort of marking people as belonging in a certain place then it would be like it would further just justify displacement of indigenous people and also like having like this legal construct which gives certain rights to some people and certain rights to other people as a way of like creating 
power relations that reinforce white supremacy and therefore enable settler colonialism and the establishment of a settler, settler colonial state. First of all, I talked about the way that the prison system kind of functions to extract black labor through like legitimizing the denial of citizenship. So kind of looking at how basically what we define as crimes are essentially just reactions to like neoliberal policy or like policies that cut down on social services. Um, these policies tend to affect black communities more. And like this looks like cutting funding from like inner city schools or just like having welfare reforms that really put a lot of pressure and strain and like deprive black single mothers of resources through these policies inequalities are exacerbated and as such oftentimes like people have to like steal to like provide for their families or they have to like engage in like like the black market because it's like the only form of employment that's accessible or like left for some people and how by criminalizing those things the state is now absolved of its responsibility of providing those social services and like also creates the illusion that like these communities don't deserve these social services if like there is this sort of increased criminalization. So yeah, just kind of looking at how like the way in which citizenship is withheld from black communities and how this prevents the state from engaging in spending that it doesn't want to engage in and like upholding and legitimizing policies around austerity and like sort of legitimizing its denial of public services to certain communities and kind of tied this back to how so basically after the Emancipation Proclamation, we saw this like huge growth of like the police force and the prison system as a way of, again, controlling black people's bodies and like sort of allowing the state to withhold resources from them after they were like given formal citizenship. So we like one of the ways this was done was through the convict leasing system, which was basically a set of laws that criminalized like very, very minor behaviors like, for example, it criminalized black people loitering or like not having employment for a certain number of days. So like the state developed all these mechanisms to take these people who are like officially now free and like put them back into the prison system where they didn't have access to like official rights and also where their like labor could be like purposed like it was like during uh, slavery because um, under the convict leasing system, you could basically take people who are convicted and like sell their labor to different companies or like to private contractors and stuff like that. Like making this historical connection showed that a slave master relations continue and just like they never end, they just like change shape as we move through history. And also showed when citizenship is denied through the prison system, it like legitimizes and always has legitimized the state withholding resources and spending in a way that privileges some communities over others. And like being able to do that without any like uh, repercussions because these policies are like framed as like moral because of like criminalization and and then kind of went on to like look at how citizenship works with like um the American military. So basically, in terms of history, looked at how oftentimes like the military was the only source of employment for black folks. Like during, I think it was World War II, the military became the nation's largest minority employer. And this was happening at a time where Jim Crow laws legalized job discrimination and like generated aggression against black people, which prevented them from like accessing what's like um, other forms of employment. So basically 
In history, the military has like offered privilege access to citizenship rights as a way to kind of recruit minorities or like in this case, like black folks who like really have no incentive to support a nation which actively uh, upholds their subordination. And then kind of like fast forwarding to right now, I found a 2006 study by Amy Lutz, which showed that currently black people are overrepresented in the military and those who are engaged and are killed in combat are more likely to come from like low income towns. As I like to kind of talked about previously, like a lot of uh, policies around austerity involve cutbacks to education, welfare, healthcare, and these things do end up affecting black communities and low-income communities much more. So the military kind of does become this source of, like, yeah, one example that I use was education opportunities. Like the military has an army, or the American military, sorry, has an army, has a program called the Army GED Plus Enlistment Program in which applicants without high school diplomas are allowed to complete a high school equivalency certificate as long as they're, like, engaged in the military in some ways. So basically what comes out of this is like looking at how the military gives sort of privileged access to these rights that the state should be providing for people and in doing so like is able to mobilize these people to uphold American imperialism abroad and like strengthen this nation which again ultimately doesn't actually invest in black communities and doesn't actually have policies that are supposed to like help their communities grow. For example, I found that like during both the world wars, like basically black folks would go and they would fight for their country and then they would come back and like people would attack them for daring to wear the US military like um, uniform or like even nowadays, like there are agencies that relegate military benefits to vets. And it's been found that it's much harder for like black veterans to get access to those benefits so yeah even though there's this idea of like the person who joins the military as the ideal citizen that doesn't actually ensure people access to resources and like those promises aren't often kept and like I think maybe a lot of people like I mean I don't mean to psychoanalyze people but like a lot of people when they like join the military maybe are under the impression that now they're allowed access to this image of the ideal citizen but like in reality like no people's labor just gets repurposed and they face the same forms of racial discrimination when they come home. Another thing that I found really interesting when like doing this was about how like recruitment for the military is like specifically racialized and like now we don't just have this one image of like the ideal citizen we also kind of have this like image of the person who can sort of attain human status through involvement in the military. And yeah, to kind of give a concrete example of this, I examined two ads for the American Marine Corps, um, one of which featured a white soldier and the other one featured a black soldier. And the one featuring the white soldier said, you will become a storied protector of 230 years of tradition. You will faithfully serve with purpose. You will become the piercing tip of America's sword if you have what it takes to make it. And the poster that featured the black soldier said, you will learn how to walk with honor. You will gain wisdom and command with decisive resolve. You will take your place among the most elite warriors on earth if you have what it takes to make it. There's a very clear difference in the kind of language that's being used where like for the 
white soldier, the military is being framed as like a way to sort of inherit this legacy and to continue this like tradition of honor. Whereas for like the black soldier, the military is framed as a way of like earning honor as opposed to inheriting that honor or like gaining honor as again as opposed to inheriting it it's almost framed as a way of just like becoming a person so i think like the military no longer just plays on this imagery of the ideal citizen is very much aware of like the desperate positions that like lead people to joining the military and kind of does exploit that in how it engages in recruitment you are listening to Brainwaves, student research on air. Head to the website culture.ckut.ca slash brainwaves to listen to other podcasts in the series or to learn more about having your own research featured. If you are enjoying this podcast, consider checking out All Things McGill from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. on Monday on CKUT 90.3 FM on the dial or www.ckut.ca online. To unify both of these institutions, the military and the prison system, I talked about the discourse of national security and how it's like used to kind of justify like prison, prison expansion and justify like increased incarceration, especially around like minor drug offenses. And also how the discourse of national security is used to like justify more and more people joining the military and how like without crit- like critically considering like who's joining the military and like why. So yeah, when it comes to the prison system, um, talked a little bit about how especially during uh, the 1980s and like Reagan's administration, um, people accused of crimes were kind of very much the foil to ideal citizens and also posited as threats to ideal citizens. And in doing so, like this discourse creates like this atmosphere of... Um, fear, which kind of prevents people from critically examining why people end up in prisons or critically examining like how violent these crimes actually are. Because like while the rate of violent crimes has actually been decreasing, like the rate of uh, incarceration again for like black men and increasingly black women has been increasing. And yeah, I think this happens because this discourse of national security generates fear so that we don't actually consider what's safe and what's unsafe and kind of just get caught up in protecting who's who's like the ideal citizen from like these people who are framed as super dangerous. And then talked kind of about how like the military justifies a lot of its imperial projects, again, through the discourse of protecting the nation, both from like the values of those labeled terrorists and also like from actual material violence and again creates the same sort of sense of urgency and threat so that it's harder to kind of look critically at who's joining the military and people get caught up in having more people be part of the military and have more people be fighting for their nation and don't really think about why and how because it's like they're just concerned about their material safety and I think I've been repeating this a lot throughout the text but in sort of showing how the prison system and American military apparatus like while like the prison system kind of takes away citizenship and the military gives privileged access to citizenship rights to black Americans they both still end up weaponizing citizenship in a way that uh, upholds the nation state and effectively exploits 
black Americans because this nation state is like not actually meant to uphold their interests and it's meant to sort of continue white supremacy um, and basically went on to argue that this very much concurs with like Patterson's theory that like slave master relations so like relations of exploitation don't actually end they just get reconfigured to like justify white supremacy and like the different things that sort of supported different times in history and like the thing that I kind of talked a lot about like what I framed as supporting white supremacy in our context is like neoliberal policy or policies that sort of cut down on social services. I guess I became interested in this research because like um, when I first learned about prison expansion and like racialized prison expansion and then went on to learn about like increased representation of black folks in the American military um, kind of thought a lot about citizenship and like like basically didn't actually make this connection but like knew that both institutions were vaguely related to citizenship in some ways and wanted to pursue that further um, I think initially like when I wrote the first draft of this thesis a big part of my focus was kind of on like the argument sort of ended at the fact that prisons like take away citizenship and military apparatus gives privileged access to citizenship and that's kind of where like the argument like stopped but then as I was thinking about like more about these questions and like working towards this next draft I began to like think that maybe it might be more productive not just to see citizenship as a way of like or as a thing that ensures belonging but also looking at how citizenship works to exclude or works to other or works to sort of uphold the nation as opposed to like something inherently positive and so develop this thesis from like problematizing what citizenship means. I would like to see more of like ending this assumption that like citizenship is something positive when people are writing about different uh, institutions of social control and like acknowledging its role in um, settler colonialism and the exploitation of black bodies and kind of going on like more from that I think like I think I mentioned this in the beginning but like talked a little bit about how historically citizenship has been a way for like European colonizers to like legitimize displacement and to sort of like legitimize the development of this new nation and has very much upheld settler colonialism and on the like kind of similarly um, ensured the exploitation of black bodies. So I think I would like to see more research and more discourse about how settler colonialism and anti-blackness actually like interact a lot um, as opposed to like seeing them as like two very separate issues, I guess. I feel like my project was more about kind of analyzing the master-slave dynamic and like as such didn't actually come up with like concrete ways to dismantle it but I think that Patterson's ultimate suggestion when he sort of posited this dynamic is that when we're fighting for social change we shouldn't get caught up in this idea that it's like really easy to abolish these things because systems of oppression in this particular case like the master-slave dynamic are extremely resilient and so I think maybe a way of sort of destroying the master-slave relationship would be to be aware of it because like the way that it works is that it kind of tricks people into thinking that like this arrangement is over when like really it's just changed shape so like when we 
doer like when people engage in organizing or like when we think about like social movements and the history of racial progress we shouldn't get caught up in this idea of like linear linear progress and more so examine like these particular institutions that reproduces relationship and when we do that we can like work towards dismantling those institutions specifically instead of just getting caught up in this idea that things are like so much better now which is like I think according to Patterson and myself, like a very unproductive stance that doesn't acknowledge the way that like power actually moves through the world. I hope that like my research challenges some like kind of reoccurring things that happens. And one of these things is like the focus on representation in institutions. So like racial success means black and indigenous like police officers or like, yeah, like more like black and indigenous people in the military um, and like I feel like some movements and organizations believe that that's like a positive thing because if we have more pe marginalized people in these institutions then like I think the idea is that the goals of this institution will change so like for example I feel like a lot of people like I remember during like when Ferguson and stuff was happening people were like oh like this is what happens when you have white police officers uh sort of in this like predominantly black neighborhood which is like very true and there's a very clear like racial power dynamic going on there but like in that rhetoric kind of I feel like kind of also implies that like if we had like more black officers in the military then or sorry in the military in the police force then that police force would no longer be like an organization that perpetuates violence against black communities because those interests are within the institution um and I kind of wanted to like push back against that idea that we can like attain liberation just by like injecting more and more marginalized people into these systems because they were created for like a very, very specific purpose. And like no matter how they change, they'll always kind of exist to uphold like the nation and like certain people within the nation. So we just like while we should acknowledge that like there is something to be said about like the fact that black folks and other people are not barred from like certain institutions anymore. We should also like not stop being critical of those institutions just because they've allowed access to people that didn't otherwise have access to it. And also just like be critical of like how organizations like sort of appropriate or like repurpose the goals of social justice. So like the way the military kind of I mean, this is, again, outside. I didn't, like, actually do a lot of research into this, but, like, kind of, I guess this is more anecdotal, but, like, I've seen often, like, the military trying to position itself as an institution that is, like, feminist or as an institution that, like, is fighting for, like, racial equality and stuff like that because of, like, now making space for different kinds of people. But, like, essentially what making space for different kinds of people mean is that, like, there are now more bodies who are like serving in the military and again like when you look at the percentages those bodies are like disproportionate compared to their like number in the civilian population so like understanding that sometimes inclusion is just kind of a way of like exploitation and like a way of extracting people's labor You just listened to Brainwaves, student research on air. Head to the website culture.ckut.ca slash brainwaves to listen to other podcasts in the series or to learn more about having your own research featured. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
consider checking out All Things McGill from 11am to 12pm on CKUT 90.3 FM on the dial or www.ckut.ca online. CKUT is McGill's campus community radio station that provides alternative music, news, and spoken word programming to the city of Montreal and surrounding areas, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year.